This evening, once again, even as we sit at your feet, I pray there would be only one voice that we hear. Behind the voice of man, the voice, the still voice of the living God. You speak, Father, to each one of us. We have not come just for knowledge. We haven't come just for information. We have come for life. You are the author of life. Your words are spirit and life. And you alone have the words of life. Therefore, Father, speak to us once again. We wait. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Okay, we have two brothers here. Meet them after the service. They're from the Nepali Fellowship. Okay, but they speak English, okay? So you don't have to worry. Very fluent in English. Over the weeks, uh, we know we've been looking at weeks, months, years, different aspects of the kingdom of God. You see, if you check the website, you may literally see hundreds of messages, maybe probably hundreds, maybe coming to probably thousands of hours of teaching. But if you look through it all, if you ever get the time, it's basically 20 or 25 messages. Looking at it differently, just looking at different aspects of the king and the kingdom, or the world, looking at it from different angles. You see, from the time a baby is born, everything a normal parent consciously or unconsciously does is to see that he or she fits into the life at home, in the neighborhood, school, ultimately society. That you can either fit in or be a misfit. You are either protective or unproductive, or a drain to the system. In the same way, once a person is born again, you're born in this world, and you're prepared for this world, you're born again into the kingdom. And every teaching from the church, at the core is aimed to see how he or she fits into the family of God and the kingdom, and is protective. First to the king, then to the kingdom. Here kingdom meaning not the realm, but the people who inhabit the kingdom. And then to the world who are outside the kingdom. All three, okay? To the world we are a testimony of the love and the judgment of God. Both. A testimony of both. Israel, the firstborn son of God, was a sign to the world. Both of the love and the justice or the judgment of God. So is the church. When God showed his love, he showed it to Israel so the whole world would know how God loves a people. His son. When God shows his justice, his righteousness in judgment, he also shows it to the world or showed it to the world through the nation of Israel. Not to other nations. Other nations, God has allowed them to continue in their sins for hundreds, thousands of years. But not Israel. Okay, It is the same now in the new covenant with the church. In the new covenant, he shows his love to the church because he says, that's the family, the bride, future bride of my son. When it comes to judgment, righteousness, justice, it's also the church. You don't have to believe me, I'll show you scripture. 
In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 17, scripture says, For the time has come, not love, but judgment to begin at the house of God. It begins. It doesn't begin with the world. He's not judging the world. They're just reaping the consequences of their actions. But with us, he doesn't even wait till then. He judges us before that happens because he doesn't want us to reap the consequences of our actions. Judgment begins at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be there at the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? He says, can you imagine their fate? Because when it begins with us, we always know there is love. But it ends with them. Like God said about Canaan, the sin of the Amorites are not full yet. When it is full, Jesus or Joshua will come and wipe them out. Okay, but not Israel, not the church. So always we have to see, we born in the kingdom of God has to see everything that happens in the light of scripture. We are kingdom people, remember, we are not, we are sent to the world, but we do not belong there. Therefore, how we look at anything in life has to be sanctified through scripture. Sanctified through scripture. Scripture washes, it cleanses like when he was leading worship, he was saying, Lord, cleanse our hearts because you said only the pure in heart can see him. And the ultimate expression of man to God is in worship. And in worship, we should be able to perceive God. And for that, there has to be a cleansing of our spiritual eyes, which happens by the washing of the water by the word. So everything God does, he sanctifies his children so that we understand and see everything through the lenses of the kingdom. Today, I'm not talking about basically giving you the introduction, but we are looking at at another aspect today of life. Okay, because we've been looking at different aspects of life the past few weeks, months. Tonight, we are look, going to look at one aspect of relationship. Remember, we've been looking at relationships too. Like we have said over and over in church, what each one of us become or is. We are the sum total of the choices we have made in life. Okay? Life also is a series of human relationships. That's what life is. Life is a sum total of human relationships. There is potential in every relationship. Potential to do good or evil. There is potential in every relationship. Primarily we know there is a parent-child relationship. Parent-child, child-parent. There is a brother-brother-brother-sister, siblings within the family relationship. Then when you go older and when you get married, then you have the husband-wife relationship between spouses and different other relationships. These are the primary. But there is a relationship. Now I'm, now remember when you hear these words, there are lots of words, or most of the words we use in life are common in the world and in the kingdom of God, but they are not the same. Meaning differs. They are not the same. So even when you hear words which are used both places, when you use the word term father, it's father in the world and father in the kingdom, and they are not the same. You have to ask God, give me discernment, how to see. How to understand from scripture. There is another relationship which all of us have, even if you're not married, even if you don't have a child, we have, which is called a friend. Which is different from every other relationship. 
from every other relationship. Why is it different? Reason, we, I, you, we did not choose our father. We didn't choose our mother. We didn't choose our son. We didn't choose our daughter. We didn't choose our brother. We didn't choose our sister. God chose for them. The world will say it is an accident. But God chose for them. So first thing you have to realize, children sitting here, young people, older people, your father, your mother, your brother, your sister was not an accident. Your family was chosen by God. By God, period. Chosen by God. Even before the foundations of the world was laid, chosen by God. So appreciate your father, your mother, your brother, your sister. Chosen by God. It was not a mistake. The world will say it was a mistake. I wish I was born elsewhere. No. If you were elsewhere, you will never fulfill the will of God in your lives. God has handpicked and chosen your family. Okay? Understand that. God chose them for us. And because he chose them for us, they are sacred. Every relationship therefore becomes sacred because I didn't choose my father, I didn't choose my mother, I didn't choose my brother, I didn't choose my sister. I probably chose my wife, but I didn't choose my children. Until recently, even spouses were chosen by God through a parent. Abraham chose Rebecca for Isaac through a servant. Jacob chose Rachel for himself, but Laban chose Leah for him. An aside, okay, just an aside, okay. In the Bible, whenever people chose for themselves spouses, whether it is Jacob, Esau, Samson, David, you will always see they had a lot of trouble. A lot of trouble. That's why it's good, good to let God choose a spouse for you in prayer, in fasting, with eldership, parents, godly, whatever. Let God choose and confirm it to you. Yes, you like this person, but that's not from me. Yes, you like this person and an eldership confirms, yes, that's for you. There is, there is security in it. Okay? But in every one of these relationships I mentioned, father, mother, brother, sister, son, daughter, spouse, there is a holy, righteous, but selfishness involved. It's very strange, right? A holy, righteous selfishness involved. A child needs a parent. Right? That's why you see all the mothers at the back holding their children. Because the child needs a parent. A parent in their later days will need a child. Husband needs his wife. A wife needs a husband. So, it is a God-ordained relationship and in that relationship there is a giving and a taking in it. But that's where biblical friendship is different. In friendship, I make the choice. It is not made for me. I can absolutely in a friendship choose to give and not at all be happy if I don't receive. I can choose to help and not be helped at all. In choosing your friend, you can be willing to give everything. 
and it can be absolutely totally unselfish friendship in life when i am talking about friendship remember true biblical scriptural friendship is one of the few relationships that never changes a child grows up and leaves a parent grows old becomes incoherent with age and passes away brothers and sisters get married and move away even in marriage need changes with time but a friendly relationship the relationship of a friend is one that can be absolutely spiritual because most of life's other relationships have physical needs that have to be met but i can be your friend without you meeting any one need of mine and also you can choose a friend at any point in time parents come at birth children usually when we are young adults brothers and children usually when we are young and growing up but a friend can be chosen at any age whether you are 8 or 80 you can choose to have a friend or choose to be a friend so there are sacred relationships like i said parent husband wife father son mother daughter brother sister and then there is a friend but of all of these relationship probably i believe i'm true the greatest is that of a friend why do i say that reason there are so many husbands and wives but they are not friends there are so many fathers and sons but they are not friends there are many mothers and daughters but they are not friends there are many brothers in a family but they are not friends there are many brothers and sisters and sisters and sisters but they are not friends if husbands and wives were friends do you know how different marriage would be home would be your brothers and brothers and brothers and sisters were not just brothers and brothers and brothers and sisters but they were friends the whole atmosphere in the home would be different and i'll give you scripture to prove what i'm trying to say because you cannot rest on the wisdom of man it has to rest on the wisdom of god a man who has friends must himself be friendly but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother so scripture is saying there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother jesus himself will say in john chapter 15 this is my commandment that you love one another as i have loved you how did jesus love them he loved them as a father he loved them like a mother he loved them as a shepherd as a pastor as a teacher but that's not what he is talking about he says i loved you as a friend and he says greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends greater love he says there is no greater love he said it and it sounds very strange okay we have read this portion so many times but in the light of what we have heard so far takes a different dimension god is saying you know what the love of a friend who loves lays down his life for whom he considers his friend is a greater love than anything else because when a parent lays down his life for his child there is a part of self involved that's my child right that's my child that my flesh and blood that's what people will say 
right? When a husband lays down his life for his wife, or a wife lays down her life for a husband, again we understand they are supposed to be one. Or a brother and a sister. Like I said, there's always a holy selfishness involved in it. Because all of them are part of yourself. But when a friend lays down his life, God says that love is greater than all other loves. All other loves. Okay. Listen to David in Second Samuel 1 and verse 26. What he says. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. Now, when a man talks, the greatest love he experiences is the love for a woman, or the the love of his woman. But David is saying here something else. He says, you know what? I know what is the love of my woman. From Michal onwards to Abigail onwards, so many. I know what it is to be. Loved by women. But your love, my friend, my brother, it surpassed every other love. What love can surpass every other love? In the Bible, different names are associated with different aspects of life and different people. Abraham is called the father of faith, the father of nations. Isaac is termed the perfect son. Rebecca, the perfect bride. Joseph, that young overcomer. David, a true worshipper. Moses, the faithful servant. But when it comes to who is a true friend, you ask any servant of God worth his salt, he will tell you from scripture, it is always Jonathan. Jonathan, the son of Saul, David's mortal enemy, is the true friend. So if you ever want to know when Bible says what is true friendship, you always have to go back to this man. You see, there are all kinds of friendship in the world, in the church, in family, all kinds of friendship. But most of them don't have depth. Don't have depth. You see, the reason also is the nature of the fallen man. A fallen nature, which at its core is mean and cowardly, can never know what true friendship means. So you have friendship in the mafia, among thieves, among publicans, among tax collectors. Jesus says this. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. I'm only using modern terms for publican, tax collector, mafia and thieves. They were the tax mafia of those days. You try building a house, then you will know what tax mafia is. Before the floor is up, they will come and throw a paper and say, labor department tax. Next fellow will come, this department tax. And you didn't even know these taxes existed. Old days, they were called the tax collectors. When we first hear of Jonathan, we will see that he is brave. First, when we hear in the Bible. okay. He attacks the Philistine outpost at Giba. And that's when Saul blows the trumpet. Oh, hero Israel. Okay, his son fought, the father blew the trumpet. 
and trouble starts. Before you know, Israelites have all vanished into holes and caves and forests when the Philistines have pinned them down. But that's the second episode we see the faith and valor of Jonathan and his loyal armor bearer. We are not going into it. We have looked at all that in detail in the past. We know this young man alone with his armor bearer breaks out of the siege and kills about 20 men, which leads to the 600 with King Saul rising up and fighting the Philistines. So he's a brave, courageous, loyal young man. That's how you see him at first. Therefore we will see later when David comes back after killing Goliath with Goliath's head in his hand, Ebner, the general, takes him to Saul because Saul asks this question, whose son is this young man? Right? And scripture records, Jonathan saw David. Jonathan, a brave, courageous, faithful, loyal man, saw somebody just like him. First Samuel 18, verse 1. Scripture says, when he had finished speaking to Saul, something else is happening over here. Abner is there, Saul is there, David is there, David the young man is giving the report probably very, very humbly to the king. And Jonathan is standing there, the crown prince, and watching and listening. And scripture says, when he had speaking, finished speaking to Saul, there is no scriptural evidence that Jonathan had ever spoken to David one word before this. But scripture says, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. What does it say? Scripture doesn't say, you have to read scripture carefully. Scripture says the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Scripture doesn't say Jonathan knitted his soul to David's soul. It says the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Why? Because true friendship is a gift from God. True gift from God. It was God who did this. It was God who did it. It's not man. It was God who did it. True friendship is a gift from God. David at this point in life, more than any other time, needed a true friend. And God gave him one. Note here, David did not choose Jonathan. Jonathan chose David. Jonathan had everything to give. David had nothing to give back. Jonathan had everything to give. David had nothing to give back. Read verse 3 of 18 and verse 3. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. What did they do? They made a covenant. We are not getting into about covenantal friendship. Okay, we are not getting into that. This is a covenantal friendship. But scripture says he loved him as his own soul. If you remember earlier messages, when the lawyer came and asked about 
the kingdom, Jesus asked him, which are the two commandments of the kingdom. And he said, love God with all your heart, all your might, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, the entire law and the prophets hang on these two, the two hinges. David, sorry, Jonathan, loved David as himself. We already know earlier that Jonathan loves God. But we here we see Jonathan also loved another one. Just as he loved himself. Somebody who can give him nothing. Who's just a shepherd boy who won his first battle. That's all. All the law and the prophets hang on these two. Love God and love the other person as yourself. True love, true friendship knows no bounds of sacrifice and giving. Jesus we saw had said that in John 15, 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. And we will see it happening. In 18 verse 3, verse 4, Jonathan took off his robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even his sword and his bow and his belt. He gave it all. Everything that represented something to him in this life, kingship, power, authority, honor, everything. He gave it to David. Jonathan sees, because he also loves God with all his heart, Jonathan sees what no one else saw. He probably knew what Samuel had told his father, that the kingdom has been torn from him and given to another. He probably knew it very well. On that day, Jonathan, a man of faith who loved God, also probably recognized this young boy is the one God has chosen. And he decided to lay down or to give his everything to this young man. And he chose to be his friend. And he decided that friendship will be a covenant forever. This friendship was not necessarily earned. Jonathan could have said as the crown prince, you know what, I'm really, really, really proud of you, young man, for what you did for Israel today. Other than the honor which my father wants to give you, I would also like you to be my armor bearer. I'll give you that position. Oh, here is a bag of coins. What do you do back home? Or sheep? Okay, dad, shall we give him a hundred more? A thousand? He could have done many things. That's not what he did. He gave him something that is friendship. You are my friend. Jonathan, the name Jonathan means God has given. God has given. But when we look into scripture, into his life, we will realize Jonathan was given to David, God's beloved, as the true friend. That's why when their first encounter, their soul is knit together. There was no jealousy in Jonathan. The throne was actually Jonathan's inheritance by law. 
But he acknowledged God had chosen David. That the throne of Israel belongs to God, not to my father. Jealousy, envy destroys human friendships, even the closest. If we have love in our hearts, the love which God alone can give, we will want our friends to surpass us. Envy destroyed Saul's love for David. Remember, Saul also loved David. Jonathan also loved David. But envy destroyed Saul's love for David. While Jonathan guarded his love for David from envy or jealousy. What we saw in Proverbs 18.24, Jonathan is that friend that stuck closer to David than all his elder seven brothers. Stuck close to him. He was truly a friend, closer than flesh and blood. And Jonathan was closer to David than to his own flesh and blood. In 1 Samuel chapter 19 verses 1 to 3, Now Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. Question is, what has David done for Jonathan, for him to delight greatly? Nothing. Because whenever we say, that's my best friend, we mean something there in the past, he did something for me. He's very useful. When I was in the hospital, he visited me. When my tire punctured, he came and gave me a lift. When I had no money, he gave me. That's what we mean. In this case, it is completely different. Saul delighted greatly in a David who had nothing to give back. In a way, he's a hindrance and a headache for Jonathan if you think carnally in the worldly way. Delighted greatly in David. So Jonathan told David, saying, my father Saul seeks to kill him. He's closer to David. Than his, to his own father. He realizes David is of God. This is the true anointed king. There is another king who is my father. But my loyalty goes to him. This spiritual relationship is much stronger. Higher than flesh and blood. In the world we will say blood is thicker than. We'll always say when we have to choose between something in the world, a friend in the world and Kuhn, ultimately Kuhn will go. That way. But here, spirit is stronger than even blood. He says, no. My father Saul seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning. Stay in a secret place and hide. And verse 3, I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are and I will speak with my father about you. Then what I observe, I will tell you. He says, don't worry. I'll guard you with my life. You won't die on my watch. It won't happen. Not even if my father with his whole army is chasing you. You won't die on my watch. I have, I love you that way. David needed Jonathan. And God gave him a true friend in the highest place. The next to the king alone. Who risked his own life to protect David. Another thing which you need to understand about Jonathan is that once he understood and it is put into him by God, David, Jonathan was willing to be in the shadows. It would have been easier for Jonathan to give in to the carnal nature and the lust for power. Instead, he accepted God's decision for David 
and therefore for himself. As soon as he realized David is the one chosen by God, that decision not only affected David, affected him too. The minute he realized David has been chosen as king, he realizes I am not chosen as king. Though I am the king's elder son. If David is to be number one, then I accept I am number two. That's okay with me. I'm fine. Most struggles in homes, churches, organizations starts when one is not willing to be number two. In 1 Samuel chapter 23 and verses 15 to 18. So David saw Saul had come to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose, went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in the Lord. And he said to him, do not fear for the hand of Saul, my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel and I shall be next to you. You shall be king of Israel. I have new two agendas in my life. One, to protect you from my father. Two, to see that you become king. And I'll be second only to you. I'm not one. Though the world says I am one. The minute my father falls dead, tradition, British tradition, they will say long, the king is dead, long live the king. Or the queen, whichever one is the eldest alive. He says, no, you will be king. And I'll be only number two. Jonathan understood, just like John the Baptist, that he should decrease and David should increase. John the Baptist, the biggest crowd puller till then in Israel's history, suddenly realized this young man who has come, whom he baptized, has to increase. And therefore he has to decrease. That he is number one. I am only number two. And Jesus will say he is number two. For all that is born of woman till today, he is the greatest. Then he will say something which would have broken John the Baptist's heart. But you know, in the kingdom, even the least can be greater than even him. He's not even number two anymore. Till now he's number two. But another race is going to rise. And they will be countless. And he will be far, far below. And he will say, that's fine. That's fine. Because unlike the Old Testament people, in all this of the kingdom, Christ is there. Therefore, Christ has to increase. I have to decrease. In all of us, Christ increases. John decreases. It's fine. We are willing to be all the old covenant saints will tell the new covenant says, we are two, you are one, and it is well with my soul. It's well with my soul. In John 15 and verse 14, this has two applications. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. We will see this in Jonathan's relationship with David. Okay, David is really stressed out with the king looking out for him to kill him. At one point he bursts forth, vents out to his friend. Chapter 20, verses 1 to 3. David fled from Nayoth to Ramah, went and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity? What is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? Jonathan said to him, by no means you shall not die. Indeed, my father will do nothing, either great or small, without first telling me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. Then David took an oath again, said, your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said, do not let Jonathan know this. Let him be grieved. But truly as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, 
there is but a step between me and death. One of the things about a friend is that that's one person you can vent with. You may not be able to vent with a father or a mother or a brother or a sister, sometimes even to a spouse. Right? But with a friend, a true friend, you can win. And he's winning. What is that I have done? You have no understand. Jonathan didn't say, don't, don't worry, I am there for you. Don't worry. But he says, you don't understand. I'm just one step away from death. Your father is following me. Listen to verse 4. Jonathan said to David, whatever you yourself desire, I will do it for you. What do you want me to do? I'm. You are my friend. If you do what I command you. You are my friend. Jonathan is telling David, I am your friend. And you can be absolutely sure I am your friend. Test me. Tell me what you want me to do. I will do it for you. You can command me. Whatever you yourself desire, I will do it for you. This is what we need to understand about true friendship. Why are we looking at David and Jonathan? Because it's all connected with Christ, okay? Connected with Christ. So we go through their friendship. God is saying these are all shadows. These are all shadows. The substance is Christ. True friendship, remember, is never determined by distance. Never determined by distance. Jonathan and David were hardly together. Yet there is a fellowship other than physical fellowship. How do you know somebody is not really your true friend is that when they are not there and they are gone away, they don't text you, you don't text them, you don't write anymore, you don't call, the friendship also dies. So it was never true in the first place. David and Jonathan have no email, no SMS, no chat, no Twitter, nothing. Not only that, if they have to meet, they need to be very sure nobody knows that they are meeting. Except one or two loyal people. So true friendship is not determined by distance or closeness or how many times you meet. In Philippians 1 and verse 7, this is what Paul will say. If I am right, 1, 7. I didn't put it. Philippians 1, 7. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all because I have you in my Heart. He says, I have you in my heart. He's lying in prison and he's singing of the Philippian church and writing the letter to them. He says, I have you in my heart. Jonathan had David in his heart. Like I said earlier, please note what we see here in this relationship is not birthed by man. It is of God. Therefore, you will see incredible qualities in both these men. Both Jonathan and David loved God and they were men of faith. He loved him, Jonathan loved him, David, as his own soul. Why? Because his soul was like the soul of David. Because he was modest, he loved David's modesty. Because he was brave, he loved David's courage. Because he was virtuous, he loved David's virtue. He saw David was all that he was and more. And therefore he loved him as himself. We have to note the righteousness in Jonathan's friendship. He believes, like I said, God has chosen David over him. And he submits to it 
unlike Saul. And it is the Lord's will that David is chosen over him. And now he realizes he must do everything to carry it out. Even at the cost of risking the hatred of his own father. You see, God knew David needed Jonathan more than Jonathan needed David. If you study the Psalms, the tales of this young shepherd boy and the Psalm David later writes, suggests to us that he was a very disturbed young man. Neglected child, growing in a very cold, hostile atmosphere, environment, especially after he's anointed, his brothers can't stand him at all, like the way Joseph was. If you read his Psalms, you will see often he has given into feelings that I'm, I'm useless, I'm good for nothing, I'm inadequate, seems like you had an inferiority complex while he was growing up, often depressed. But there is wonderful healing in the power of affection when somebody chooses to believe in you. Jonathan loved David and Jonathan believed in David at a time in his life when David did not believe in himself. His friend was there. Jonathan was able to believe in the promises of God for David more than David himself believed in the promises. And he sought God's best for him. You will see when we study closely in those years how much David was dependent upon Jonathan's friendship at that point in his life. He was so dependent upon Jonathan's friendship That's why Jonathan is a friend given by God to David at that time. He was crowned prince, just a shepherd boy chosen by God. The king and his army was looking for him. And who was there to believe the call of God upon his life? Nobody. Except one true friend. Not his father, not his mother, not his brothers, nobody in Israel. One true friend believed in the call of God. On his life. And that was Jonathan the crown prince. You can see that in his reactions. In his emotions. In First Samuel chapter 20. Verse 41 and 42. As soon as the lad has gone. Now there is a secretly meeting. Okay, David arose from a place toward the south. Fell on his face to the ground. And bowed down three times. So it's a very unequal friendship. Jonathan is David's friend. Jonathan has made a covenantal friendship with him. But David is still a shepherd boy who won one victory. When he looks at him, this is the crown prince. And his father with his army is chasing for him. He doesn't understand Jonathan's love. And he probably can never love Jonathan the way Jonathan loves him. Because it's not possible for him. They are not even equals. But Jonathan loves David. But when David meets Jonathan, first thing he does is he bows down three times. Then they kissed one another and they wept together. But David more so. David is weeping more than Jonathan. David, more so. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace. Don't worry. Go in peace. Because we are both sworn in the name of the Lord saying, may the Lord be between you and me, between your descendants and my descendants forever. So he arose and departed and Jonathan went into the cities. These two are believing the best for both. David is so depressed, 
discouraged, he breaks down. And he cries and cries. Jonathan also cries saying that, I'm sorry brother, what can I do? It's my father. David is saying, I don't have the strength anymore. How long will this go on? And Jonathan is hoping, Lord, I don't know, I believe very soon one day my father will just die. And then, I am in charge and I can handle it. And I will tell the people, David is king and I am his number two. Nobody will say anything. And he's married to my sister. All that, their hopes going on. But things are not going to happen that way. But you need to realize, David really, really needed a Jonathan. It was Jonathan's friendship that kept him afloat during those years. There are many real friendships in the world too, where people have even laid down the lives for their friends. But there is no spiritual dimension in it. In this case, with them, always you will see God will be invoked. God will be invoked because this is from above. This is from God. Jonathan was God's gift to David in the most difficult years of his life when he was the weakest. There was a point in David's life when Saul was looking for him when his faith was weak, very weak. At that moment, Jonathan will come to the scene. We read that portion earlier, but now we will read it differently to see how when David was so weak in his faith. You know, that happens. You receive a promise from God. Once a promise begins, trouble begins for everybody. If you have received a genuine promise from God, whether you are Joseph, David or Peter or Sammy or anybody, trouble will begin. Because there is a fellow out there who doesn't like promises people receive from God. He will incite flesh and blood to see that the promise never comes to pass. And after running around for six or seven or eight years, you yourself start wondering, Lord, is this all true? Or did this all my imagination? You know, the oil he poured has already dried. My hair is also dry. My skin is also dry. I haven't seen anything. One fluke, maybe the giant fell. Maybe next time I won't be able to hit even a big target. What is this, Lord? You start losing your faith in God. And his promises. That hour, Jonathan will come back to David's life. David stayed in the strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day. But God did not deliver him into his hands. Now this is history. Okay, from heavenly perspective. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. Then Jonathan Saul's son arose, went to David in the woods. And what did he do? He strengthened his hand in the Lord. Came and said, no, I need to talk to you. Don't you dare forget the promises of God over your life. Don't you forget that day when Samuel came to your father's house and anointed you. You are the next king of Israel. Don't lose hope. Don't you forget the day I was there in that battlefield. I saw the hand of God upon you when you killed Goliath. I am a witness to God's hand upon your life. Don't lose your faith now. You are the chosen. You are the chosen. You are the chosen. Jonathan came and strengthened his hand in God and said to him, Do not fear. Are you afraid of my father? Let me tell you as his eldest son. The hand of my father shall not find you. You shall be king of Israel. I'm telling you, you shall be the king of Israel. Don't lose hope. 
you shall be the king of Israel and I shall be next to you. You be very guaranteed. When my father dies, you will be king. You know what? I will be your number two so that no voice in Israel will ever rise against you. I will guarantee that. If somebody has an opposition, they should say, no, you shouldn't be king. Jonathan should be king, right? You can be very sure I'll be next to you to prove every day you are king and not me. I am there. He strengthened him. This is the essence of Christian friendship. Because that friend enables the one you love, the one he loves, to strengthen his or her grip on God. Grip to strengthen his or hand in God. That's what true friendship does. Don't lose your hope. Don't forget your promises and I'm there for you. Even if you surpass me, it's fine. If that is God's will, I will be with you with all my strength to see that you surpass me. You will see this. After this, David will never see Jonathan alive again. He will not see him alive again. When he was alive, there was nothing David could give. The friends could have hoped, perhaps Saul will stop his madness one day and then die a natural death and David would be king and Jonathan would be his right hand and all that. They probably hoped that was what they were hoping for. And if that happened according to what they hoped, Israel's history would have been different. But it didn't happen. It is interesting to note when you study scripture, what the absence of Jonathan did to David. During the 16 months, when David Because of the fear of Saul, Jonathan's father, ran into the Philistine camp and lived there among the Philistines. David did stuff, unimaginable stuff, which Jonathan would have been so ashamed of. That's what Jonathan's absence did to David. 16 months. You'll read the record, it's a very black dot on David's history. What he did. But you look at those 16 months. He had no contact with Jonathan at all. David went berserk during those years. Because a true friend will stop you from straying outside the ways of God. Later when David is dead, sorry, Jonathan is dead. And when David is king, the question is about Bathsheba. Question always asked by theologians is, would Bathsheba have ever happened if Jonathan had been there? The answer is no. He wouldn't have allowed that to happen. For a true friend strengthens one's grip on God. Getting the picture? There are great relationships in life. Father, mother, husband, wife, mother, daughter, father, son, brother, siblings. But there is a friend who loves at all times. And Jesus said, greater love a man cannot have other than he lay down his life for his friends. When a husband and wife are true friends, the husband and wife are true friends, marriage is fine. Because a friend loves at all times. And friendship is a choice you made. It was not made for you. Even in arranged marriages, your father or your mother may pick a spouse for you, but you can choose to be her friend. 
father and sons can be true friends and the real true friends between a father and a son is the friendship between god the father and god the son they are friends mother and daughter brother and brother <coughs> blessed is a man who has a friend more blessed is a man who is a friend and most blessed is a man who is a friend and has a friend like i said in the beginning unlike other relationship friendship the friendship that i'm talking about does not need the acceptance of the other i can choose to be your friend even if you reject my friendship but i did not choose you because you accepted it i became your friend before you accepted that's what jesus says in john chapter 15 verse 15 to 17 no longer do i i call you servants for a servant does not know what his master is doing but i have called you friends for all the things i have heard from my father i have made known to you you did not choose me i chose you did you come and say jesus can you be my friend he says no i chose you i chose you i chose you even judas was chosen as a friend and another thing you need to understand about this friendship is that i have called you friends for all the things i have heard from my father i have made known to you friends confide in one another he didn't tell it to others and please don't ever think because it is written now for us whatever he told to them as his friends when we read it we understand it we don't unless he is our friend we won't understand it that's how scripture is hidden he said i have told you because you are my friend everything i heard from my father i have told you why because you are my friend and i want to confide in you you are my friends friends confide in one another just as god in christ extends friendship to us by confiding in us he tells us a lot of stuff that is what we we call it revelation we don't see it in terms of friendship god says you yeah, i'm talking to you because i trust you i love you you are my friend so i'm telling you i'm telling you in the same way we also must learn to confide in him confide in god lord you know what like david went it before jonathan learn to went before god like i said even judas was chosen by god as a friend by jesus as a friend even though he chose to betray even though he chose to betray jesus had chosen him as his friend i did not choose you because you accepted it I chose you even before you accepted I chose you as my friend Judas. Therefore the last words of Jesus to Judas is very significant. The last words uttered by Jesus to Judas. You know what it is? In Matthew 26 verse 50 when he comes to betray him Jesus said to him, "Friend, why have you come? Why have you come? I chose you. You didn't choose me. Even if you choose to betray me, I chose to remain your friend. I chose to remain your friend. You can betray me. 
can hand me over to the soldiers. They can beat me up, they can crucify me. But you know what? My last words, I will still say, friend, I chose you. You did not choose me. That's why Proverbs 17 and verse 17 says, a friend loves at all times. At all times. Jordan loved David when David had nothing to give him. Jesus loved Judas even when he came to betray him. One day David and Jonathan will rise from the dead in their resurrected bodies. And whatever God assigns them, I am sure they will do together very happily. But like I said, these are all shadows. Bible says these are all shadows. The substance is Christ. In the fellowship, the friendship of Jonathan and David, there was a cosmic drama that was being enacted. The shadow and ours is the reality. Jesus was the son of the true king. Unlike Saul, the true king was righteous. But he saw us and he loved us and he called us friends. And he loved us as himself. And because he loved us as friends, he wanted the best for us. The very best. What is it? What is it? To reign with him. But he also knew it was only possible if he laid down his life for us. That in this life, on earth, when he walked, Jesus knew one thing. He should decrease if we have to increase. He has to die if we have to love. It's no other way. He has to give up his throne if we have to ever reign with him one day. And that's what happened. That's what the Jonathan David drama all is an enactment of what would happen later in real time. Therefore in 1 John 3.16 he asks all of us to be true friends. He says, for this we know love because he laid down his life for us. We also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. He says, be true friends. Try to be number two. Don't try to be number one. Try to be number two. Try to be number two. Try to be a true friend. Like I said, in the Bible, there are titles given. Great titles to different people. Abraham had the largest titles. I wonder how Abraham would have ever printed his visiting card. Exalted father, father of nations, father of believers, prophet of God, servant of God. You know, the titles he had. But the greatest title to him in the Old and the New Testament. In James chapter 2 verse 23, Abraham believed God, was accorded to him righteousness and he was called friend of God. What is he called? Read carefully. What is he called? What does scripture says? He was called friend of God. Scripture doesn't just say God was his friend. The meaning changes. Here he's saying, Abraham is the friend of God. Abraham is able to actually say to God, you are my friend. While God is able to tell Abraham, you are my friend. In so many ways, at a level, the relationship is equal now. 
God says, Abraham, you are my friend. Abraham says, God, you are my friend. It's said in Isaiah 2. That is in Isaiah 48, 41 and verse 8. 41 verse 8. But you, Israel, are my servant. Jacob, whom I have chosen. The descendants of Abraham, my friend. My friend, do you see why the hand of mercy is extended over Israel till today? Because he says, those are my friend's children. So my friend's children. Remember my friend. Abraham was the friend of God. God was a friend of Abraham. Abraham was willing to lay down his life represented by Isaac for God. Therefore, God was willing to represent, lay down his life represented by Jesus for Abraham's descendants. Both are friends. That's how friendship is defined in the Bible, right? A friend will lay down his life. If God had asked Abraham, walk three days and offer yourself as a sacrifice, he would have happily done. Didn't matter to him, an old man anyway. But God said, offer Isaac, that's my life. He says, I will lay down my life for you. Got the meaning? Abraham, my friend. He is my friend. So understand relationships. Relationships are sacred and value them. Look at life through the eyes of scripture. So when we sing that song, what a friend we have in Jesus. Next time we sing that song, Sing it differently. Understand what it means. Man, shall we pray? Father, we just thank you, Lord. We just thank you. We just thank you. We just thank you, Father. The light of what we have heard today, Father, help us to be a true friend. One cannot have too many friends. One can have just a few true friends. But help us to be true to everyone. A true friend to everyone. Everyone may not be our true friends, but we can choose in Christ to be a true friend to everyone. Help us, Lord. Help us, Father. Help us to learn from Jonathan. Help us to learn from David. Help us, Lord. Help us never to forget the true friends we had in life. Those who gave themselves to us when we had nothing to give back in return. When the hour of our power comes, help us to remember like David did. Show me, is there anyone in the household of Saul to whom I can show mercy for Jonathan's sake? Then it doesn't matter what the descendant of Jonathan looked like. He may come limping into our presence. He may think he's a dead dog. Doesn't matter. But because of Jonathan's sake, help us to extend grace, kindness, goodness to them. Because you chose to extend kindness and goodness compassion and blessings upon us for Christ Jesus' sake.
Help us to see relationships as you see them, Lord. And change us daily from within. Help us to confide in you so that you may confide in us. Help us to be true to you that you may reveal your heart to us. Help us to have a covenantal friendship with you, Lord, that our souls may be knit to yours. Thank you, Father. Thank you. As we go, Father, to our homes, reach us safely. As we enter into another month, at the end of this week, go before us and be with us and strengthen us. Thank you, thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you.